everyone. Welcome to Empowered Expression. I have a fabulous guest today who you are going to love. Her name is Michaela Rose. Uh, she is a beauty queen extraordinaire and she has just been crowned Miss Grand Australia 2023. Please welcome Michaela. Oh, thank you, Susie. <laughs> it's an honour to be here. <laughs> oh, it's great to talk to you, Michaela and I. We met in 2017 when I was in my very first pageant, Mrs Earth Australia, and Michaela, I was, I was, I was crowned that in uh, in Melbourne, and Michaela, you were crowned Ms, weren't you? Yeah. There's Miss and Ms, and uh, Michaela was crowned Ms. So Michaela and I were on this journey together, and we found ourselves in Vegas together, competing against I think it was 36 women from around the world. Uh, we had amazing experiences together. Um, we were supportive of each other and it was um, it was a really, for me, it, it was an experience that changed my life. Um, we had some amazing adventures when we were there and I've just, I've been delighted, everyone who's watching, to follow Michaela's journey since 2017. And I'm so proud of her and what she's done and the young woman that she is today uh, who's going to tell you all about herself. So, um, yeah, it's just great. So, um, and what I wanted to share with everyone, Michaela, is people seem to think pageantry is just about being pretty and it's so much more than that, isn't it? It's a lot of work. Would you like to talk to us about the sort of work that goes into uh, the real work, you know? I remember seeing an interview yeah. with a girl once and she was talking about a fake tan and I thought, no, talk about the real stuff that we do. Hmm. See, this is something that I have been very vocal about through or I was very vocal about through my journey towards the Miss Grand Australia National Finals was because having been in the industry for so long I realized no one outside of the industry really knew what was going on what preparation was going in so and I had a lot of people um, you know from my work network or family friends and things like that reaching out to me and saying oh my gosh I cannot believe how hard you're working and how much is going into this. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's why I'm sharing it because, I mean, each pageant has its own criteria and things like that. And for Miss Grand Australia, um, you know, interview was a really, really big part of that. Our advocacy is really important. So our, our community involvement, our charity um, involvement and things like that as well. And I'm actually wearing the Destiny Rescue I Rescue Club at the moment. So within that, uh, I think we we raised well over fifty thousand dollars just just since January this year. Oh wow! Congratulations, that's amazing. <laughs> they must be stoked. Yeah. Well done. So yeah, that's um you know a collective of what twenty nine national finalists, and and that's what we managed to um, fundraise all together. You know, all across Australia, we were hosting different fundraisers. I did a, a high tea. Lots of girls did you at your bunnings, um, sausage sizzle. It's a lot of a lot of blood, sweat, and tears goes into it. And then you've got um, you know, your your physical health that you're focusing on, um, you know, being in shape and all that side of things. That's an everyday thing. Um, your mental well being. So I've mentioned quite a few times now actually, I work quite closely with my psychologist on a fortnightly basis especially leading up to the competition because your mindset is one of the most important things, which I'm sure you can agree with. Oh, absolutely. Mindset mindset is key. Mindset and self-belief is absolute key. You know, uh, it's, it's pageantry, like you mentioned, interview. There's a formula to winning pageantry and there's a formula to being really successful. And the main thing You is told me that, actually. Ah, uh -uh, did I? <laughs> that stuck with me. You said that to me when you won. You said I stuck to my formula, and it had stuck with me ever since. Oh, that's good. I'm so glad. It's look, and it is. Uh, I did a lot of research when I did Mrs. Earth, and I really threw myself into it in a big way uh, because yeah. I had nothing to lose, you know, uh, except getting older. And um, and it's all about mindset and self belief. Uh, and the interview part. Um, there's a certain way that you answer questions with pageantry. You have to believe or you people have to realise that um, pageantry, when you're a winner and you're a queen in a pageant you're, and you're going for an, it's like going for an interview to be the CEO of a company. 
uh, you're <laughs> representing this company and their chosen charity for at least a year, if not longer, because sometimes it can be longer than that. And they want to know that they've got the best person for the job, that you can talk to anybody from prime ministers to kids at, at a sausage sizzle at Bunnings, you know, with the same empathy and the same everything. Uh, and, and it really is important. And a lot of um, people in pageantry don't realise that. People who watch and, and, and just see the girls in pretty gowns at the end, uh, you know. Uh, and you've um, really demonstrated that beautifully with your win. Um, and you, um, like when I was uh, with um, on my way to Vegas, I got a coach, one of the best coaches in the world, uh, which is part yeah. of my prize, which is great, that, who taught me how to talk, how to, how to frame the answers for interview, how to actually really communicate in a much better way, which was kind of the beginning of my communication journey. And I really, and I, I know you've had a coach uh, for this part or this particular pageant. I don't know whether you have in other pageants because you have done other pageants in the past. And all of them are a stepping stone, like life, to win the thing that you want to win, you know. So tell us about what coaching you've done and with whom. Yeah, so I have done quite a lot of coaching actually um, over my, I mean, we're talking about for me, it's, this is a 10 year long journey to one of the most prestigious Australian titles. So it's not that, you know, there were wins, there were losses, there were lessons. Um, and I've had, yeah, a number of people, part of my team getting me to where I am now. And so I currently work with a coach that I met over in the Philippines. Um, her name is Shandy. So she is wonderful. We've been obviously going um, online, which is that's a wonderful tool that we've been able to use. I'm hoping to be able to see her um, later this year before I compete. But I've also had, you know, coaches in Indonesia um, by a gentleman named Toma from Bratu's Beauty School. And then I've also got my local coaches. So I've got Andrea from Andrea's House of Beauty uh, and Peter Serena here in Australia as well. So it, it the thing that I find works for me is some people say, oh, you know, you should just stick with one coach. But at the end of the day, I want to work with a number of coaches who I can then create my own identity from. So I take the parts that work for me and all of the coaches that I've worked with have been very big on endorsing this also. So I don't want to work ever with a coach who wants me to be a, as they call it, a pageant patty or a cookie cutter pageant girl. I want coaches who can give me honest feedback, honest advice. They can push me to my limits, but at the end of the day, they want to help me take from them or take away from my lessons with them, things that are just going to, I guess, highlight my attributes that I already have. And that's what I look for in a coach is someone who goes, hey, these are your great aspects. Let's highlight them. Let's show the world. Not someone who goes, oh, this is your flaw. So um, that is what we're really going to have to work on because the previous winner was really good at that. Well, I'm not the previous winner and I'm not going to be and I don't plan on being her. So that's what I look for. Oh, that's excellent. And coaches, they um, uh, pageant coaches are, are like life coaches, aren't they? They're working on your mindset. They're teaching you to um, to focus on on uh, the right things when you're um, walking, when you're on stage, when you're interviewing with people, but who you are inside to bring out the best parts of you from the inside and giving you um, that ability in a way to really have faith in yourself. I think sometimes yeah. I would say to people, just believe that you've received it, that you've won and go out there and believe that you've won, you know. But if you think in your mind, oh, I'm really not going to win, she's so much better than me. And if you compare, and this is in life as well, not just in pageantry, if we compare ourselves to other people in any way, shape or form, in any parts of life, in any business, we're setting ourselves up for failure. We have to have that really strong self-belief. Uh, and I'm a big believer in um, having a coach in all parts of life. And so you mentioned oh, yeah. psychologist as well. Um, it's so important uh, because you're with anything, pageantry is like this uh, kind of like little 
bubble that relates directly to how we live our lives, you know. Once upon a time when I was a little girl, they had June Daly Watkins finishing school and you would be taught to sit and walk and talk and where your cutlery went and how to dress and how to cross your ankles when you went for an interview. It was nowhere anywhere near as big as what pageantry is um, or to the extreme in a good way that pageantry is. But it was like so many young women went to this finishing school and uh, I think being in pageantry is kind of like being in finishing school, but it teaches you so much about yourself, doesn't it? You've learned a lot about yourself um, over the last several years whilst, you, whilst you've been growing and learning because you're not that old, um, you know, uh, and life this has taken you on a big journey. Uh, so, and you've had um, coaches that teach you how to walk as well, haven't you? Yes, that was probably my one of my biggest focuses with my pageant coaches. Um, mindset I might mainly focused on with my psychologist. But in saying that, Andrea, for example, one of my my coach in Melbourne, she wouldn't let me start practicing or walking until I stood there and took a breath, and I I got into the zone. It was like stop, take a breath, reset. So. Yeah, she was mainly focusing on my walk, but it it just all intertwines, doesn't it? Oh, it totally does. And and that's a, a life skill as well. We, we have to be centered. We have to center into ourselves. We often have to just take a breath and yeah. stop and center ourselves in any situation at all. Uh, and before we take a step forward with anything that we're doing. I think um, I've from being in my like pageantry in 2017. I love the world of pageantry. I think it is the best place for young women. Um, anyone I know who has like you, who has really achieved in pageantry, you will go on. Your you've learnt the skills with the coaching and with everything that you've achieved in the past and continue to achieve. You will be able to get any job that you go for for the rest of your life. That's what people don't realise. It's it's a, it's a life training that you're receiving. It's not just a training to get on the stage once. Uh, and this is like to all the mothers who are, you know, for and fathers who are supporting their daughters and some sons to go through pageantry. It's a life training. It's these skills that you get. And as an older woman as well, um, you know, we often uh, go through life and um, we kind of need an upgrade with how we communicate how we think about ourselves and doing what you're doing and going in pageantry certainly upgraded me. I mean, I found I became a dress wearer for the first time in 30 years, completely changed my life, you know. The doors of motivational speaking opened to me. My press career started, or publicity, I should say, from, um, you know, from winning Mrs Earth Australia and that was, and that just went on and, and gave me so much. I got so much out of pageantry for myself at the ripe young age of 55. So you're never too young and you're never too old to get some amazing so, training and some amazing insights into who you are as a human being and where you want to go and what you want to do. Um, um, now, congratulations for being in Harper's Bazaar in Vietnam in what? the most stunning dress. Wow. Oh, you yeah. I was just like, you took my breath away. And the photographs is amazing. And that's such an honour to be in such um, a really influential, beautiful fashion magazine that's been around for decades. So huge kudos and congratulations. Thank you. I was very, very honoured to be wearing um, Min Tuan. So that was the designer who created that stunning purple gown that I was honoured to wear. Uh, I will be working with them again for the international finals. So definitely keep an eye out. I'll um, be sharing. I I'm not going to tell you what we're working on, but yeah, some pretty exciting things. Now, did you um, go to them as part of your strategy in pageantry? Because there is a strategy to winning pageantry. Or did they find you? Uh, so Min Flan, I actually found through a fellow pageant sister who raved about their services. So I went to them um, and approached them about the dress. We didn't have long to find a dress, a stage ready, a competition ready gown. Um, but part of my strategy was selecting a Vietnamese designer uh, because we are going to be competing in Vietnam at the end of the year. And I want the Vietnamese 
pageant industry to understand that I'm honored and proud to be going to their country. So it, it's, it's really, really big and it's, it's really, really, I guess, um, important to these pageant powerhouse countries and, you know, they bid to be able to host these pageants. So it's really, really important that for them to know that we want to be going to their country and that we want to support their pageant community and industry in that country. So this is a really big opportunity for their Vietnamese designers to be on a world stage in their own country. And that's something that I'm really passionate about. I did the same when I went to the Philippines and I competed in the Philippines. I wore a Filipino um, designer's dress. So it, it is a bit of the strategy, but to me, it's more so, uh, I guess, a way of heroing our host country. Oh, absolutely. I loved it. When I saw that, I I, I was like, kudos, well done. Because that's what you do. Uh, it's not just about, pageantry is never just about the individual. It's about what you give. It's about what you give to your charities. It's about what you give to your fellow uh, contestants, but it's what you give to the host country. You're absolutely mm -hmm. right. Um, and uh, in like a lot of people don't realise that these people they bid uh, to to be able to host um, these pageants. It's a big deal here in Australia. You know, it's uh, it's not as big a deal as it is in some countries. Pageant queens in some countries um, are really celebrated. Uh, for the Fair women enough. that they are and really held up in high esteem as role models uh, for other women. And it's very important uh, that you do, that you are true to yourself and you uh, do really um, represent that country. And I love that you do that. And it's great talking to you because uh, the, the pageant community that are going to be watching this are going to be taking notes of how to actually conduct themselves in pageantry, how to really res show respect which is what you've done to a pageant country and how to really elevate uh, the designers in another country, which, and the, again, the dress is just fabulous. Like really, really both dresses, both countries, absolutely amazing. And that has led to you and them getting uh, a shoot in Harper's Bazaar. So it's how we take these journeys, you know, it's how we see ourselves and how we um, represent ourselves and others. I remember people coming up to me saying, oh, thinking that I just got publicity because, Somehow I was just walking along the street and Channel 10 came up to me and said, hey, let's interview Interview It's like, no, no, it's a complete plan. There's a strategy, Michaela's mentioned, the team that she has working for her. There's a team of people that support us going through pageantry from trainers to dress designers to coaches um, to directors. Uh, there's a whole team. It's all of it. Exactly, hair and makeup, the looks, the, the everything. And, and as we go along in our journey, by giving them support, for, especially for our sponsors, like if you wear hair pieces, you're supporting them, you're supporting your makeup artists, the lashes, things. You're wearing your Destiny Rescue T-shirt today, which is awesome. I'm constantly supporting your charity because this is what it's all about. It's never just about us. And I think, again, in like in life, when we do things for others, um, it makes it easier for ourselves uh, and we often gain more than we realise when we support other people and, and um, you, you're doing so well at doing that. Um, and um, now there's another thing I wanted to talk to you about that many people might not know. First of all, what do you do for a job when you're not um, dedicated to doing pageantry, which does take a lot of time? It does take a lot of time. Um but I actually made the switch from corporate lifestyle to something a little bit more meaningful to me and, and uh, my personal experience. I'm now a disability support worker. So, yeah, so it's uh, very, very different to being a real estate agent, but it's uh, just as challenging but much more rewarding. Oh, that's excellent. I love that. Um, I work as a carer, as you may or may not know, and I have done yeah. It's just before I thought you did it, <laughs> and uh, I've um, that's been um, I call it Miss Sonia, who I work with, um, who is a disabled person. Uh, we have such a beautiful love for each other 
you know. And I said to them, I'm going to, I'm going to be staying a bit longer in England and, you know, if you want to replace me, I've got someone. I'm like, no, no, we're not replacing you. We'll see you, we'll see you back in November, you know. And, I mean, Sonia, she has my face on her Apple Watch, which is so cute. Uh, she doesn't know how Facebook works or anything like that, but her sister's joined her to Facebook so we can do live messenger now. So she can ring me whenever she wants. So she knows to push the red button, which she does. And she's got the timing pretty much right. So I can sit here just like this and have conversations with her. So we're still attached, which is great. Um, I was really worried about being away from her for a long yeah. time um, and missing her birthday. Uh, but I, I rang her on a birthday and sang to her on a birthday. And that was really good. She's really patient. And it, it's, uh, it's, not everybody, I've realised, Michaela, can work with disabled people. Not everybody has the heart and the soul to be able to give of themselves um, without expecting anything in return to help others have a better quality of life. Um, and I salute you for doing that, and that's wonderful. Uh, and it kind of is a little segue into, I know you've been talking um, about a disability that, well, it's not really a disability. Let's, uh, it's called you have a neurodivergent mind. I really like I that. do. Do you like to tell? Well, yes. Yeah, so, yeah. So I have ADHD. Um, yeah, depending on who you talk to, some do classify it as a, a disability. Um, it's a, yeah, yeah, I'm neurodivergent. My brain, you know, is, is built and functions a little bit differently to neurotypical people. Um, it's been a very, a very long journey of self-discovery over the last few years. So I wasn't diagnosed until I was 20, uh, close to 27, um, which is quite common now for females. Um, unfortunately, I'm not too sure how much you know about ADHD, um, but there are two different types of ADHD. So you've got your hyperactive and then you've got your inattentive. Some people can have a mix of two, uh, but I like, like any diagnosis, it's different for everyone, but typically those with um, inattentive ADHD tend to fly under the radar because they they might still be high achievers. They're still good at school and things like that. Um, and but they're not, you know, the typical young boy running around the classroom. So it's quite common, and this is why we have such an influx of diagnosis coming in and people have the misconception that oh all these people have ADHD now why is ADHD suddenly so common you know why are the numbers going up it's like anything it, you know we learned one day how to um, scan for particular cancers earlier on you know we learn how to test for um, you know the early onset Alzheimer's and things like that it's the same with ADHD we've just we've done the research now and now the evidence and the, the the research and everything is there to diagnose these people who should have been diagnosed as children so it's not that all these people are developing ADHD it's just that it's a backlog and a delay of diagnosis that should have happened when we were young so not that I'm not still young <laughs> but okay, no, it's um, um on your life path or on your journey, what led you to finding out that you had ADHD? Did you have episodes in your life or or your parents went, hey, or, you know, what led you to actually going and getting diagnosed? Yeah, so it was very much internal for me. Like I was the one who waved the red flag and said, hey, something's wrong. Because to everyone externally, A, I was very, very, very good at masking my symptoms and what was really going on behind closed doors. Um, I, I was very good. At, even my GP said it to me. Um, you know, she sort of picked up on it after quite a while of seeing her. She then sort of said, hang on, you're very good at hiding this. And I was like, yes. And that's why I haven't been able to get help because no one's taken me seriously because no one sees it. Um, but basically, um, sorry to jump around in the circle there, but I, my mental health took a really dark turn to the worst. Um, it was, I think, uh, 
uh, very early on during COVID. And I think that was quite common for a lot of people. And a lot of people sort of talk about how um, a lot of the ADHD diagnosis did come up during lockdown and things like that because we were able to accommodate our hyperactivity or uh, things like that. Like my life was just so go, 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 go. I was always chasing the ball. So then I stopped and not only did I have to look internal and was faced with my biggest, um, for lack of a better word, my flaws. I don't think that they are flaws now, but at the time they did feel like flaws. Um, so I was faced with those and along with that, all of my, other than caffeine, my self-medicating was all gone. So by, by self-medicating, I mean, you know, things that I was using to fuel my, well, to, to mask my hyperactivity. So being a workaholic and things like that, like work with my drug in a way um, that was keeping me always excited, always on the go. So once that was gone, yeah, it was very confronting. And is that what um, caused you, like you said, in COVID, there's a lot of people locked down. Is that what caused you to maybe um, uh, not get depressed, but really get realised that, sorry, no, that's not the wrong word, really face yourself. Like you said, you masked. And it's interesting, isn't it, when we mask. Who do you think you're masking from? Were you masking from yourself or are you just masking it from everyone? I think you, you've actually probably been one of the first people to sort of um, understand what I'm about to say next and by what you've just said. I was masking it from everybody else but I was also masking it for myself because when I left my my home or left my you know my safe space um I could pretend to be the person that I was putting forward to everyone else so then I felt okay with myself because I was conforming to what society wanted me to be and when I could convince everybody else that that's who I was, I could pretend that, that that really was who I was. Yeah. Well done for facing, or no, um, not facing, embracing who you really are, embracing who you really are and being brave enough to do that. Uh, a lot of people go through life masking, you know. Uh, sometimes we have friends in our life and, you know, it takes us years before we actually see who they really are and then we realise we don't really like them after all because they've been in the whole fake it till you make it kind of thing, you know. Um, and I've always seen you as an incredibly successful young woman who's very driven and very good at her job and and sometimes, like you said, with ADHD, it can be high achieving. You know, I'm a very high achiever as well. That's just who I am. Uh, and... Uh, I I really um I praise you for doing what you've done. And how do you feel now that you've embraced who you are? Because like I said, it's and you said as well, it's not a disability. If this is just who you are, the world is made up of all sorts of different people. Uh, you know, how do you feel now that you are stepping forward in life um uh as your true authentic self? Yeah, so there's a few little elements to that which I'll just sort of quickly touch on. So firstly, I did feel a lot of uh, initial shame for identifying with with the label uh, because I hadn't identified with anything like that for 26, 27 years. So who was I to have the right to do so now? So that was really hard. It took me about a year before I actually started sharing it with people. So you know, my bosses didn't know and um, I think they, they knew something was going on, um, but a lot of people really didn't know. A lot of people quite close to me didn't know for about a year. And then I made the decision to be open about it and to really share it with the world. Um, and I did so quite publicly, which I know I is, um, I wouldn't necessarily recommend for everyone. It's very confronting to do so but where I'm going with that is when I stood up on stage during the Miss Grand Australian National Final and I had my on-stage question about what I wanted to do with the title or what change I wanted to create in the world and I spoke about the fact that I wanted to reduce the stigma around disability and 
I spoke about the fact that I was a neurodivergent woman. I actually had the most, sorry, it makes me a bit emotional, but I had the most beautiful young woman come up to me at the end who's also neurodivergent. She had a, a um, diagnosis of autism and she came up to me and she thanked me for everything that I said and she told me that it made her feel seen. So, yeah, that was just like the most heartwarming thing and it made me feel like all of the self-doubt that I had or all of the, the fear that I have of, oh, gosh, what are people going to think and all of that sort of thing just went out the window and I was like, who cares what other people think? If they're judging me, they're not the ones that I'm trying to get the message to anyway. And, you know, the, the people that I want to make a difference for are the people who will hear my message. And that's the most important thing to me. And yes, I want to try and get the message through those people who don't understand because they're the ones who carry the stigma the most. But I, it kind of made me realize that I want to help reduce the stigma for those who are feeling shame because they've got a diagnosis. So that's, that's yeah, I guess where my focus is. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful message to anybody who um, feels different at all uh, in life. Labels, I hate labels. I've always hated <laughs> labels. Labels can be um, so harmful. Uh, you know, I have a neurodivergent son who is on the spectrum. Um, you know, it's a very big, big umbrella, the spectrum of whatever, you know. For me, I'm just like, well, you know, so what if you, you're crap at handwriting, mate, really? You know, and so what that math isn't very good. I was crap at math as well. You know, they've just given you a label. And um, I think it's uh, how we handle things and how we perceive what society might think of us. Like you said, you felt shame, you know. When I got my son diagnosed when he was in high school, it was the best thing I could ever do. And I managed to be, because he can't handwrite, he has um, a thing that he can't handwrite. Uh, so I got him to use a keyboard. He went from a C student to an A student. And finally, all the teachers, including himself, could read his writing. You know, they all knew he was really bright and because he was an excellent communicator and still is. But I remember, you know, and all of a sudden he's um, in a special room in a lounge. He's like, Mum, he rang me from school and went, Mum, I love being autistic. This is great. I've got, I have more time in my, in, my, in my exams. I have help from a teacher. I'm in an air-conditioned lounge in summer and none of the other people out there can come in because I'm special. And I think it really depends um, how you process stuff and, and how we're raised and being there, we're also very different. Uh, and when we're younger, we do, we have this fear of what other people might think of us. And I have to let you know, as you get older, you, you actually get to a stage where you really don't care. Uh, but it's when we're younger that we do, you know, because going through high school and primary school, sometimes kids are awful and we don't, and they, they're mean and they tease and they pick on us. But what we don't realise until we're older is that they're just mirroring the stuff that's happening at home and how they're being raised at home. We take it personally. As we get older, as adults, we realise that it's actually it's not about us. It's about them and the stuff that they're not healing from and the stuff that's happening to them that they're just projecting onto us. And isn't it? That's amazing that you, you and you will continue to have an impact on other neurodivergent people uh, because it's such a, I love the term neurodivergent. It's very sci-fi, uh, you know, it very big. It's, you know, it's kind of like, um, it's kind of, it, I don't know, it's got a really nice ring to it. Sounds really special, babe. It's, um, you know, and uh, to be able to say that sometimes labels are ugly, you know, um, and if you're going to wear a label or, or not wear one, if you're going to support a label, um, it's fun to have a label that actually sounds good, you know. Yeah. You know, because it's a, it's a good one. I do like um oh, I love it. I'm yeah. for the podcast, the neurodivergent beauty queen. That's what I wanted to do. <laughs> as soon as I said I thought, oh, this is the name of the podcast. Um, you know, because like sometimes we think that people even like you're working with people with disabilities. Um, I have a lot of joy working with, I've worked with lots of, lots, several women with different disabilities, be they sickness or mental or physical and some emotional. 
and uh, they're all really special in their own right. So many people, the lady that I work with all the time that I sing karaoke with have said to me, what's actually wrong with her? And I'm like, I don't know. It actually doesn't matter to me. I don't care. I don't, I don't need the label. I know who she is. I know what I need to do with her. And I know that we adore each other and we have fun. It doesn't matter right. to me what her label is. You know, I have girlfriends who have got sicknesses that I, I forget what they are because I don't care. You know, it's kind of care what your label is. You know, it's as long as you and I, we love each other, we communicate, we we are we are who we are with each other, and we're comfortable. It's all that really matters. You know, just um, yes, three little points on that is one brilliant that your son is in in embracing the support that is there for him and that's something I really want to advocate for is that don't be shameful if you need some support you know people wear glasses to to see better okay as you said if you need to type instead of handwrite do it it's better for your grades amazing and then another thing is yeah the labels while sometimes they are really important for us to how to understand what someone might need at the end of the day we're all in individuals and you cannot treat two people with ADHD as though they're both going to need the same thing. So get to know the individual, just approach them with some kindness. And like you said, you, you communicate like human beings, you find out what they need and how you can support and vice versa. That's all we need. That, that it's, it's kindness and it's understanding that everybody is different. And then um, I did have a third one, but I can't remember what it is. Never mind. Come back to me later. Up to you. It'll... Look, he he went through school and um he ended up leaving school at year ten, um because parts of school were a bit intimidating for him. But he went on to do some amazing things. You know, he worked for a radio station. It was discovered in Woolworths because he's got a fantastic voice and he was an acting student. So he was on air talent for months and months. Um, you know, uh, as in had his own <laughs> show on a radio show in on the Gold Coast, learned stuff, doing with numbers, which was amazing, but it was all, it was timing. So he was, he was, uh, you know, he, he learned a lot of things, you know, now he uh, got into university as a mature age student um, and has been, he studies at university, uh, writing, ha <laughs> was using his words. Uh, and he had all the, all the sorts of keyboards that you could use. But what he did when he left school is he, um, he always walks around with a little pad, in a writing pad and a pen in his pocket. So when he has ideas, he really, he really practiced writing them down. And often it's still a little bit illegible, but he can read it and then he puts it in and he types stuff. So words were really big for him, you know. He, I remember he got busted once, the teacher, this is in primary school, the teacher said he got this student to write his essay for him and I said, I said to her, I said, well, that shows great ingenuity, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and she laughed and she's like, fair enough. Yeah, it does. Like, well, it wasn't cheating. But he wanted to say, you know, it didn't get, it wasn't copying or anything. He just couldn't handwrite. So he got the kid to do it for him. That, show, that shows a future business leader as far as I'm concerned. I was like, that just like a leader, a real leader. That's, um, yeah. yeah. Totally. Totally. There are a lot of um, people in um, the world that have created very huge things uh, that have neurodivergency. I think Richard Branson is dyslexic. Um, there, you know, and Jack, my son, he has he's in that little family. It's called dysgraphia and dyscalculia. There's three, and dys and dys yeah. dyslexic is they can't read. You know, uh, there's lots yeah. of people who have gone on to just. Uh, embrace who they are, move around it, zigzag, um, and just do other things and make it work in other ways. Uh, and I think being um, standing up and being loud and proud with the woman that you are is helping others uh, achieve what they want to achieve and not hold themselves back or having any barriers in life. Because like we were talking about earlier, it's all about your mindset, isn't it? Yeah. If you believe you can do something, you can, and you'll figure it out. And you'll make it happen, you know, which is uh, the most amazing thing. Uh, now, what else was I going to ask? I, I wrote a few things down. Um, I was going to ask you, I might not ask you this one. This is a political question and it might take us yeah. in a different direction. So we might, we could cut this out of this interview because we're recording in Zoom. Yeah. Just recently, um, a trans woman won an international beauty competition 
and was named the most beautiful woman, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I know for me personally, I have trans friends and I would love them to have their own beauty competition. Um, I have a problem with trans women in sport competing against natural born females. And I do actually have a problem with trans, not a problem. Um, I wouldn't like to have competed with a trans woman in the beauty competition I was in because of everything that I went through to get there as a natural born woman uh, and the challenges that I had at 55 within myself just put on a dress, you know. Um, if I found that I was competing against a man, I think it would have been really bad for my psychological welfare. And like I said, we can cut this part out if it turns out to be too risque or too confrontational. But I was interested to see what you thought. Yeah, no, that, it's a very, very good question. And it isn't one that I haven't thought about previously and, and had the discussion with, um, you know, friends and family and things like that. I'm very much of the same opinion um, when it comes to sport because I don't think that our female athletes should be sidelined. Um, you know, it, it, that I, I do think that that is one of its own, one in its own, and I don't think it means that you have any view on um, the transgender community whatsoever if you believe that natural-born women should have sporting competitions of their own. Um, I think you can still be, you know, pro-transgender um, voices and things like that um when it comes to the pageant I'm now of the opinion it, it originally sort of did confront me a little bit but then the difficult side of it is that a lot of these other countries are endorsing a lot of um cosmetic work so you know I I um We'll be competing against girls who are women, sorry, women who have the opportunity, who have sponsors for which, whatever cosmetic work under the sun that they want in these other countries where it is quite um, A, affordable and, and B, they've got, they're, they promote it alongside their, their pageant titles and things like that. Um, every culture is different. So... And fortunately, back in the day, so back when I very, very first started competing, it used to be in the um, the rules and regulations that A, you had to be a natural born woman. There was usually age brackets, which they still are. They're extending them, yay. We like that. We love that. Um, and they, they also used to say that you had to be not just natural born, but you couldn't have any cosmetic work. So that's how, what it used to say as well. But then that kind of just got railroaded and then that was kind of out the window. So I think in some ways, to me, I don't necessarily see the difference of if we're talking about, you know, physical competition and a beauty pageant, I don't necessarily for me see the difference between going up against a natural born woman who's had all the cosmetic work under the sun that she dreams of, uh, which, you know, each to their own, um, and, or versus a, a transgender woman. To me, it's like, yeah. Excellent answer. Excellent answer. Yeah, yeah. No, I totally I totally agree with you. Because uh, you've got women out there that have got fake body parts and if they've had all sorts of work done to their face, they don't, it's all, it's, it's a little bit plastic, isn't it? So it's, it's not a level playing field in that regard. You know, it's a shame that, uh, like, I'm not a big proponent of Botox. I'm not into Botox and fillers and all that sort of stuff and each to their own. If you, that's what you are into, that's all your thing. No judgment. Um, uh, I feel that it it's setting an example to women of the younger generation of perfection that is really unattainable, you know. Yeah. Uh, unless they have money and it, and even with like the filters that that are available now that people put on Facebook and stuff like that and I've I met a woman once and she knew in 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 person 
she knew exactly who I was because she was gushing all over me. But the only photo I'd seen of her was so touched up that she looked like she was 12 and she was in her 50s. So when I met her, I didn't recognise her. And I, that was one of my biggest fears. And I had not Right. And I said to my girlfriend, I said, oh, my God, I don't know who she is. And she's obviously a huge fan of mine. Please help me. So somehow she managed to find her on Facebook and said to me, it told me her name. And I'm like, oh, my God, thank God. So then I could actually call her by name. But I was like completely, I was like, oh, I don't know who you are. Um, I, I get that you get who I am, but, you know, um, and it had a lot to do with the, the complete no wrinkles, no nothing, and always the same photo. Yet she actually in real life looked 40-odd years older than the photo that she had on Facebook. I love when I go to speaking engagements, people will come up to me and go, you're Susie Dent, recognise you anywhere. And I think, yeah. <laughs> right, that's what I want. I want you to know who I am. Um, right, I, lo I loved your answer. Thank you. It's a it's a really good answer because there is a difference. I think one of the biggest sort of um, things that I found personally that was detrimental to me and myself in image and things like that when it comes to these things is, I mean, it's each their own. If you want to do that, you want to do that. That's fine. But when people aren't honest about it, I mean, I guess, people, you know, you don't have to disclose this sort of thing, but then when you've got young girls who are trying, or young girls, men, women, whoever, whatever gender, trying to achieve, as you've said, an unattainable, unnatural beauty because they don't actually realise how much work this person's had. So a lot of people sort of get, you know, up in arms about people that um, actually post on their social media what they've had done. But they're not necessarily promoting, hey, go do this. It's also the other side of it that you're then not having a girl going, oh, well, you know, my butt doesn't look like that. Yeah, it doesn't because you didn't go and get a Brazilian butt lift. You know, and then sometimes in some ways you can go, um, oh, okay, like this is my natural body and that's great and I should not expect it to look like that something that isn't natural so while I'm not saying that I think that it's great to promote these things especially to young women I do think that in some ways sometimes it is good when there's like a little bit of um you know look behind the curtain you know understanding the a disclosure I guess in a way <laughs> no absolutely no I, I absolutely agree you know you've got I I worked with a woman who'd had a Brazilian butt lift and she was only in her late 20s and she was she uses her body to make money. I, I don't mean that in a bad way, but in a, in a different way. And she told me all about it. it cost her fifteen thousand dollars. She couldn't sit down for for, for like um, a month because otherwise I would have squashed a bum. Um, you know, she had barely any fat in her body anyway, and they sucked out. It sounded barbaric. Sucked yeah. out fat out of her body to shove into a bum to make her bum cheeks a bit rounder. You know, we have you know a certain family that starts with K that will become nameless that have had so much surgery. Um, that their children won't even look like them, you know, uh, and, and you, you know, I imagine, you know, when the kids reach puberty, they'll be rushed off to whatever surgeon to fix whatever or change parts of their face shape before they're even old enough to be able to do it, you know, and they have fake bums, fake boobs, fake everything, fake skin, completely airbrushed, you know, completely unnatural human beings because they have so much money um, and they're so focused on themselves, you know, so... Well, focus on the inner you and who you are inside and living life as a kind, beautiful human being and being of the best service to community sure. and to your family and to the world that you can. And, um, yes, it's great that you look after yourself and look after your skin, drink lots of water, have a good diet, you know, exercise. Um, what advice would you give to, um, uh, to up-and-coming women of all ages in the pageant community as far as how, what they need to do. The, the ABC yeah. is what they need to do and set up uh, to be really successful in life and in pageantry. Um, my psychologist suggested that I listened to the audiobook by David Goggins. Um, he's got a couple of, it was his first one. Um, 
I can't remember what it's called, but yeah, by David Goggins. Highly recommend. You've got to listen to the audio version, not read the book, because there's they actually stop. He actually stops um, and chats with the narrator. So David Goggins himself and the narrator actually discuss each chapter, so you get extra info out of it. Uh, because there's a part where he speaks about when he was going through the um, SEAL Navy training um, over in America. He he speaks about how he was so focused on running his own race and lifting up others that he just naturally became a leader and he naturally like that fueled him to keep going and to be better and he was the strongest the fastest during um his training and I think that can be applied to sort of anything it can be applied to career you know competitions friends family all of that um yeah, so to be so focused on that and just to remove yourself from ego. Uh, I think it even speaks about another um, another guy that he was training with that, um, you know, was so focused on just being the best. And it's like, no, when you focus on being the best, that's not necessarily where you end up. When you focus on the other things, you're not focusing on the, the the pain that you're feeling and and all of that. So anyway, I won't I won't um, try to explain something that he does so in the book. Okay, no, that's great. That's David G O double Yes, I've written that down. That's great. Yeah, listen brilliant. Very motivational to listen to yeah. my and motivational people. It, it's really I find it really helpful. He has an epic story. You know, coming from a really really. Um, dark sort of upbringing and childhood to, to where he is now it's a, it's a great story um so be that sort of thing um create a vision board i know this sounds so stupid or not stupid aware, but it's Wasn't so naive but, um i actually and, and people might relate this to ego but it's not about that it's about envisioning like you need to feel the vision and I actually photoshopped the Miss Australia, um, this Grand Australia crown onto my headshot. And then I had all of these really meaningful pictures around it as to how I was going to become Miss Australia. So I had fundraising for Destiny Rescue. I had advocating for ADHD. I had eating and um, nourishing and fueling my body and moving my body. And I just had all of these things around it just to remain focused on the, on, on the, the dream, the goal. So every day when I woke up, I saw that. And then I was messaging to my my brain that this is possible. Like I had to convince myself that I was going to be Miss Grand Australia in order to sit in front of those judges in my one-on-one inter- uh, my interview with the panel of judges and convince them that I was going to be their next Miss Grand Australia. So when I was at the gym, when I was... Um, I don't know, at, at pageant training, all that sort of thing. What I had running through my head was like, I'm Miss Grand Australia. When I was walking through the office at work, back when I was in real estate, I would have that in my mind. So guess what? I would then carry myself as Miss Grand Australia would. And it's not an ego thing. It's not a, a I'm Miss Grand Australia. It's a feeling it in your body to then live it and be like, hey, well, what what would the future me do? What would I do? What would I be doing? What choices would I be making right now if I was Miss Grand Australia? Oh, well, I'd be doing this. Well, then that's what I'm going to go do. Why wait? Act like that now. So that that's probably one of my bigger my biggest things as well. And that is what you need to be so focused on, rather than focusing on your competitors. Stop focusing on your competitors. I've been there. I've done that. And you know what? I've never won a pageant in my 10 years when I spent my time focusing on my competitors and what they had that I didn't. You know what? There were girls that I competed against this year that had much longer leader legs than mine, that, you know, were were much thinner than I am or something like that, or, you know, had better skin, better hair, whatever it might be. If I focused on that, I was never going to be able to put my best self forward. So they're, yeah, they're the sort of just a quick little few tips. Um, And as we spoke about before, invest in yourself, invest in in support 
invest in, um, whether that be um, a mindset coach, a psychologist, a nutritionist, a, a personal trainer, um, you know, a pageant coach or whatever it is that you're training in. Even when I was in real estate, I had a number of mentors and coaches. It's it's crucial. Oh, absolutely. So that, that's my <laughs> myriad of things. Excellent advice, Michaela, in pageantry and in life. Excellent, excellent advice because we can't we can't do this life alone. We need help. We need mentors with everything we do, whether it's real estate or pageantry or speaking on the world stage. You know, we all we all need people to help us along the way. Um, and I love the the tips that you've given. That's what I did with Mrs. Earth as well. I would visualize that I'd won every single day. Uh, and I um, I would say to people, not if I win, when, and then I'd say to them, yeah. just manifesting, just manifesting. Um, so they didn't think it was a, uh, you know, and I and I did, I wore it. It's like, this is this is who I am. I believed I'd won it. And even when, when I actually went down to Melbourne for the Mrs. Earth Australia, um, I actually had a PR agent and she'd lined up an interview for when I won. And that's really bad yourself because it didn't matter whether I won or not I was still going to do the interview but the interview was there for when I won and then I did win so I did it that <laughs> like I was there that was my first interview you know and I remember being interviewed in the car all the way to the airport so back yourself and believe yourself and and um great advice to uh listen to David Goggins because it's not about ego yeah. it's about mindset and self-belief and all the big motivational speakers that you will listen to um, from Bob, Pro Bob Proctor to Anthony Robbins to all of them, um, vision boards are a great thing. You wake up every day, you see your dream, you think of your dream, you live your dream and dream big, everyone, because you never know what life has in store for you. But if you believe you've already received it, like Michaela said, she walked around, well, who would I do? What actions would I be if uh, I was Miss Grand Australia right now? Oh, and these are the actions that I'd take. You encompass everybody, everything that you want to be and believe that you are and you will become everything. You know, it's all um, it's quantum physics. Apparently the universe listens. It's all this big bubble of mind and information and, and manifestation. And then you might end up with one of these. Crown on darling. Look at that. It's absolutely fabulous. Look at that. Wow, that's amazing, isn't it? I love that. It's, it's um, oh, all handmade. That's stunning. Yeah. Really stunning, really good. So, yeah. um, uh, what are your plans for the future? Apart from, of course, winning um, what we be called, just Miss Grand World or Miss Grand International. Miss Grand International, yeah. right? And what will your duties be as Miss Grand International? So, Miss Grand International actually has their own advocacy, being stop the violence, stop the war. So that's what they advocate for and that's something that each of us will get involved in, which I'm really excited about that. Uh, and they travel around the world during their reign, really promoting that and um, and and helping communities that are going through the, you know, scenarios and, and these, yeah, these situations and circumstances that we're so lucky not to be living through here in Australia. So that is uh, what Miss Grand International will be doing. Um, personally, my, I will still be working quite closely with Destiny Rescue. I'd like to continue to fundraise for them well into next year. Um, but my main advocacy will be reducing the stigma around disability. Um, so I'm working with my, my lovely partner, um, who also owns and operates a, um, a company within, within the field. So we're working on platform a platform to help actually educate and upskill carers um so we're really excited to be rolling that out we've got um yeah just, just the really really great resources for people in the industry and also for families so often you know that there, there isn't necessarily a lot of resources out there for the families that have maybe children or siblings or um, even a parent or something like that who is going through um, some form of disability or mental health issue. So we're creating a few resources for people um, who are in the support network as well. And um, yeah, that, that's pretty excited. And obviously my partner being a boyfriend of a neurodivergent woman, he's got a lot of advice to share with uh, other people out there who, you know, their loved one or their 
um, their partner is neurodivergent or has a disability or whatnot as well. So let's walk on the cards. <laughs> oh, that sounds amazing, Michaela. Wow, 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 wow. I look forward to seeing all the things <laughs> that you're going to create and um, all the people that you're going to support and share your love uh, and all the things that are going to happen with you and your partner uh, to help society and to help people in Australia. I look forward to seeing you winning on that stage in Vietnam because uh, I know that you will. It's been an absolute delight talking to you, as I knew it would be. So thank you so much for in uh, for joining us here on Empowered, Ex uh, Empowered Expression. I'm going to talk to you again when you are fully queen of Miss Grand International. Thank you. It's been really, really fun finally catching up with you again. So thank you. Uh, most well, we'll give your mum a hug for me next time you see her. That would be great. Yes, she's, she's been asking about you, so um, I definitely will. Yes. Good. Thank you so much, Michaela. Have a beautiful time and good luck with everything.